Hey, what's up everyone? It is Pastor Marcus here from the storychurchproject.com. Welcome to the Story Church Project podcast where our focus is how to redesign the local Adventist church to tell its story loud to a culture that is no longer listening. I hope that you're blessed by what you hear and that it inspires you to make a difference in your local church today. Hey, what's up everyone? It's Mark is here. Welcome back to the Story Church Project podcast. I want to talk about the thing that Adventists get wrong about truth. Now, if you've been an Adventist for any amount of time, you know that that truth is something that we value, that we are sort of into, right? Um, I remember way back in the day, um, this isn't really something I hear anymore, but Adventists would probably, you know, would typically ask someone else who maybe had just joined the church or, or who they had just met, who was also an Adventist, and it would say, uh, "How long have you been in the truth?" Right. Um, so this is this is sort of a thing that that we value, and I, obviously all Christians do, but certainly some of the Adventists do. And um, but there's something that we get wrong about truth. Uh, something that we get wrong, maybe not necessarily our scholars and theologians, but in our local church culture, there's something that we get wrong about truth. And uh, that's what I want to talk about today. But I'm, I'm not actually going to talk about it, talk about it, not how I often do. Uh, rather, what I'm going to do in the next few uh, moments is uh, I'm going to transition into uh, an audio sermon that I preached at my local church. It was the last sermon that I preached for the year before going on the holiday break. And the name of that sermon is What is Truth? And, and in that sermon, embedded in that sermon, is the thing that Adventists get wrong about truth. So I want you guys to hear it, check it out. I, I hope it's a blessing for you all. It challenges you and it inspires you uh, in not only in your search for truth, but also in the way in which you communicate it in a postmodern society that we live in today. Um, also, if uh, you're listening to this on the podcast, you can get the text version of this at thestorychurchproject.com slash blog. It'll be a blog by the very title, What Adventists Get Wrong About Truth. And uh, it's, it's there in text format, meaning, you know, you can read it. And one more thing, if you like the Story Church Project, the Story Church podcast, uh, the blogs, all the different things that we've got going on, then I invite you to please subscribe. That lets us know that uh, you're getting good value out of the content that is being delivered. And uh, you can also follow uh, the Story Church Project on Facebook. You can follow on Instagram and Twitter as well. And uh, yeah, look, share the content, subscribe to it, subscribe to the newsletter, all that cool stuff. Uh, it helps the project to continue to grow and thrive. So without further ado, I want to leave you guys with this sermon where we're going to explore what Adventists get wrong about truth. Father in heaven, thank you for your goodness and your love. Thank you for our church family and the journey that we've been through throughout this year. Lord, we've only just begun. The plans that you have in place for us, we can't even begin to imagine. But we know, Lord, that this church is here for a reason and a purpose. And I wanna pray, Lord, for our leaders and also for our members and our guests, all of us family, Lord, that you would pour out your grace on us and empower us to make the difference in this world, in this community that you've called us to make. As we dive into the word this morning, may you lead us and guide us with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
So once again, it has been an amazing experience this year for me because uh, not only through the things that have been happening in the background with the leadership and, you know, looking at the vision and mission and all those cool things, but we've been on a journey to understand the heart of God just a little bit better throughout Scripture. And we've been exploring that throughout this year through various themes in the Bible. And as I've said before, I'll say again, I always, my invitation is always this. No matter what you are discussing when it comes to the Bible, always ask, what does this say about the heart of God? Because that's the point. That's the point. What does this say about the heart of God? Because the war that we find ourselves in, this war between good and evil, is a war about who God is and what he's like. It's a war between lies and truth. But that, that leads me to this question that I wanted to wrap the year up with. And I want to explore this question, not only to close this year, but to launch you into the next year as well. And the question is this. We've got this battle, cosmic battle, this great controversy over lies and truth. But, but what is truth? That's the question that I want to explore today. That's the question that I want to close the year off with and launch the new year with as well. What is truth? Now, the word truth appears all over the place in the Bible, as you would imagine, a few times here and a few times there. But there's one author, especially in the New Testament, there's one author who is obsessed with the word truth. Would you guys like to know who it is? Ah, oh, I don't believe you. Would you guys like to know who it is? <laughs> here we go. All right. Matthew comes up once, Mark twice, Luke four times, John 22. The word truth comes up in the book of John 22 times. This guy is really into the idea of truth, what truth is and what truth should do. He's obsessed with it. And my hope is that by the time I'm done today, you will be also. Turning your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 1, verse 14. I'm going to start there. It's the first time John uses the word truth in his book. John, chapter 1, verse 14. When you're there, say, I'm there. Amen. All right, beautiful. John, chapter 1, verse 14. This is what it says. I've got it on here as well. And the word became flesh. And he dwelt among us. Oh, I love that. I love that. The Greek there is he pitched his tent among us. And we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, we're coming up on the Christmas season, which I got to be honest with you guys, I know not everybody's into Christmas, but I'm, I'm one of those weird people who starts listening to Christmas music in July. My wife, even my kids are like, come on, man. Like, that's just too much, Dad. Um, I love Christmas. And, and here, embedded in this text is the Christmas story. We have this idea that John is introducing in this book of truth, and he's, he's introducing this concept that the word became flesh. There's so much there. I could preach like 10 sermons on that one line there, but I'm just going gonna, gonna to overcome the temptation and keep going. 
John is introducing his readers to this mystery of God that went from up there to down here. A God that went from transcendent to neighbor. He became flesh. And as pretty and jolly as the Christmas season may be, it's undergirded by this radical declaration that the God who cannot be contained by anything contained himself in the frame of a baby boy in a manger. He dwells with us. He walks with us. He does life with us. But the text gets stranger. It gets stranger. Let me keep going. John says this. He says, we saw his glory. Now, now John's making a play on words here. Right? John is, John is thinking back to when, when Moses wanted God to show him his glory. And God said, hey, look, I, I'll show you a little bit, but nobody can see me and live. And now John is, is, is extrapolating from that story. He's saying, look, we saw his glory. We saw him, but he goes further than that. In the book of 1 John, also written by the same guy, John, verse 1, he says this. Let me, get it, let me get it up on the screen. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John says, we didn't just see him, we touched him. He wasn't an illusion. He wasn't an apparition. He wasn't an idea. He was real. We saw him. We touched him. Now, this is strange. I'll tell you why it's strange. It's strange because John is obsessed with truth, and yet his picture of truth is different from what many of us would imagine. According to John, truth is not a list of ideas. Truth is not ideological constructs or abstract philosophies. Truth, John says, is something you can see and something you can touch. Correction, truth, John says, is someone you can see and someone you can touch. So I ask again, what is truth? We live in a culture today that no longer values truth. Now, for some of us, this is common knowledge, but for others, this might be something that you're not entirely familiar with. So give me, humor me a few minutes to just explain what I mean by that. The way in which human beings relate to truth, there's three overarching ways. There's, there's more minor ones, but there's three overarching ways in which human beings have historically related to truth. The first one, and these are big words. Don't mind the big words, guys. The first one is what we call pre-modernism. I was in New Jersey some years ago, and I visited a lady who was an alcoholic. She had a lot of problems in her life. She didn't go to church. She didn't read her Bible. She wasn't a Christian. She was, you know, her kids were, and so they wanted me to see her. And, um, and I walk into the room, and I say hello to her. Her name was Millie. I still remember. And I say hello to her, and, and, and one of her kids mentioned, oh, mom, this is Marcus. He's a pastor. And mind you, she doesn't go to church. She doesn't read her Bible. She doesn't pray. Nothing. And she looks at me, and she says, oh, I just got chills in my body. What she was saying was, I can't believe I'm in the presence of a man of God. 
Millie falls into the category of what we would consider someone, what we would call pre-modern. This means that even though she doesn't go to church, even though she doesn't read her Bible, even though she doesn't, you know, pray or any of those things, she believes that there's this thing called truth, and she believes that the source of truth is God. And so when she comes into contact, and I saw this all the time growing up, you know, you'd have, you know, pastors walking down the street, and, they, and they, they, they'd walk by the homeless guy, and, and the homeless guy would hide his bottle. Oh, sorry, pastor, let me put this away. How are you? Or, or you're around friends, and, and, they're, and, and, they're, and they're cussing and swearing, and then in walks the Christian. Oh, stop, everybody, stop, stop the swearing, then, you know. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that. It's sort of the pre-modern. We don't, we don't subscribe to it, but we believe that truth is real and, and that somehow it's embedded in God and, 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 and there is authority in this book. And, and man, I don't live up to it, but if you make a really convincing case, I'll, I'll take it. Well, after the enlightenment and the scientific revolution, a new way of relating to truth emerged, and that's what we call modernism. So there's pre Modernism, then there's modernism. And modernism is the idea that there is truth. Truth exists, truth is real, but it's not in the Bible and it's not in the preacher, it's in science. Scientific revolution and scientific discoveries and all these amazing things that we've never seen before. And so people now, they still believe in truth. They still believe that it's absolute. They still believe it's out there, but it's not found in the preacher. Forget that guy. Forget the church. It's found in science. Genesis says the world was created in six days. Science says the opposite. We're going with science because that's where truth is. The modern mind. And science promised to bring in a new utopian era. And as time passed by, people began to realize that what it really gave us was the atomic bomb and the bloodiest century in the history of humanity. And so people lost their faith in science. And that brought us into a different era, which is the era we currently live in today, post-modernism. And the postmodern era can be summarized like this. The church promised truth, and it brought us war and horror. Science promised truth, and it brought us more war and horror. Therefore, the conclusion is, there is no such thing as truth. Truth does not exist. Now, this is the cultural milieu that we currently find ourselves in. People no longer assume that the Bible is trustworthy or the church or even the scientist. The assumption now is, look, the best we can do is live as honestly as we can and as positively as we can and, and I've got my truth and you've got your truth and so long as we respect each other, then whatever. And if you come and you say, well, my truth is more true than your truth, <laughs> then that's offensive. Because there isn't any such thing as truth. Not in a way that applies to anyone. So now this is a problem for us as Adventists because we love the truth. So how do you communicate the truth that you love to a culture that denies that truth even exists? Used to be a time where you could, you could put, up a, you know, put up a sign or send out a billboard or not a billboard, a handbill with a guy on the front cover with his Bible and people would flock to the meetings. Oh, we're going to hear truth. No more. 
So how do we do it? How do we communicate truth to a culture that no longer believes in the reality, in the existence of truth? I can talk about this for hours and days because it's one of my favorite topics, but I just want to keep it simple this morning. I don't think that we need some fanciful new theory. I think the answer is ancient. And I think it's found in John's conception of what truth actually is. So I want to read it again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me unpack that a little bit more. John describes Jesus as full of truth. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus was not a philosopher. Jesus was not an academic. Jesus was not a lecturer. And yet he was full of truth. And it's interesting because as you look at the way in which John introduces Jesus as someone who is full of truth, he doesn't go through a list of his qualifications. He doesn't say, oh, Jesus educated in the rabbinical school and, you know, his mom gave him Bible studies every day and he did the 28 fundamental beliefs and he's got his certificate. No, none of that. Instead, he predicates this idea of this Jesus who is full of truth by simply saying, he is here. He's incarnate. He's neighbor, he's, he's friend, we can see him, we can touch him. In other words, what John is beginning to introduce is that the evidence for Jesus being full of truth is not his PhD, it's his dwelling with us, which is weird because that's not how we conceive of truth. We conceive of truth as facts, analytical data. John is introducing something different. And then John, if that wasn't enough, shares with us Jesus saying something that none of the other authors of Jesus' life share. And it's John 14, 6, where Jesus speaking to Thomas says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We saw him, we touched him, he was full of truth, but more, he is truth. This is challenging on a million different levels. It challenges the postmodern by declaring that there is such a thing as absolute truth, but it challenges the church as well by saying that truth, whatever it is, is way more than doctrinal formulations. Now, I tried, I tried to wrap my head around it because this is, you know, this is, my brain don't work like this. I tried to figure out what is John really trying to say, and this is, this is, this is sort of what I was able to concoct. Truth is not merely academic, truth is personal. Truth is not merely ideological, truth is life. Truth is not merely information, truth is friendship. Truth is not mere facts, truth is acts of kindness. Truth is not an it, truth is a him. A baby boy born in a stable because truth is not in ivory towers, truth is flesh and bone. And that baby boy grows up and he's full of truth and he is the truth. And here where it started to make a little bit more sense to me, 
Because as you read through the narrative of John, as you read, as you follow the life of this baby boy who is truth, you find the truth befriending drunkards. The truth eats meals with thieves and prostitutes. The truth blesses little children everybody else considered to be a waste of time. The truth washes feet like a servant, and the truth comforts widows and orphans, social outcasts and failures. Because the truth is not an it, the truth is a person. He's a relational person. And then it started to make a little bit more sense. See, today, the culture doesn't trust the church because the church claims that it has the truth, but then it doesn't live the truth. It preaches of God's love, but does not love its neighborhood. It proclaims God's justice, but does not defend the weak and the poor. It sings about the bread of life, but it doesn't feed the hungry. It celebrates the living water, but it doesn't alleviate humanity's thirst. Sometimes people tell me, Marcus, all this meeting people's needs and nurturing friendships and community is not important. The truth is all that matters. And I feel my heart break just a little. Because it's sincere people who say this to me. It's kind people who say this to me. It's people who love the truth, but who in all their love for truth still don't know what truth truly is. If truth was merely information, then yes, forget the greeter, forget community, forget caring about one another, forget loving one another, forget social events, forget all of that. Let's just make a plan to shove as much information into our neighbors as possible. If truth is merely information, then let's just focus on disseminating data everywhere we go. Forget about everything else. It's a waste of time. But if, as John says, truth is more than information, if truth is a verb, not just a noun, if truth is a person, not just a thing, if truth is relationship, not just a textbook, then we need to do more than just communicate information. And when we love one another, when we care for one another, when we serve one another, we are proclaiming truth. Few people have said it as well as this guy with the weird name, St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. All of a sudden, confronted with this Johanian as the theologians would say, because you know theologians, they like to make a big word out of the simplest stuff. Johanian. I'm talking about John. This Johanian idea that truth is more than just information. All of a sudden, we have to rethink evangelism. It, it, it isn't just Adventists getting together to shove information into people's skulls. It's Adventists serving and caring and incarnating, dwelling with others. Because when you love someone, when you smile at someone, when you care for someone, you proclaim truth. Which is why God didn't just send a lecturer from heaven. He sent a friend of sinners. 
A person, not a thing, a relationship, not a manuscript. And so in that manger, we celebrate on Christmas, lays a baby boy, and he is truth. And that baby boy grew up to be a man who declared, I am the truth. And because of that declaration, his enemies conspired to have him murdered. And hours before his crucifixion, this same Jesus stands before the most powerful man in his region, a guy named Pontius Pilate. And then something wild happens. I love this. Pilate wants to know what kind of king is this Jesus. So he asks him, are you a king? And this is Jesus' reply. This is John chapter 18. Jesus replies and he says this. You say correctly that I am a king for I have been born. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. It was that word truth again. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. In other words, Pilate, I am a king. I'm not a political king. Pilate, I am a king, but I'm not a military king. I'm a truth king. I'm a king who has come into the world to proclaim truth. This is the great controversy right here, guys. Lies about God inundating The world, and in comes Jesus to proclaim the truth about God's heart, about God's character. And he's standing before Pontius Pilate. He said, Look, I've come into this world to proclaim truth. And then he says this interesting thing Whoever is of the truth hears my voice. Why? Because you cannot separate truth and Jesus. They're so intertwined that to claim truth without Jesus is to believe a lie. I'm going to say it even stronger. To preach the Sabbath without Jesus is not truth. To preach the sanctuary without Jesus is not truth. To preach any of the 28 fundamental beliefs or anything else that we believe without Jesus is not truth. Call it anything else you want. They're so intertwined. They're so linked together. He says, whoever is of the truth hears my voice. And this reminds us of Jesus' own words when he says, my sheep hear my voice. They know who I am. This is a relational statement reaffirming this Johanian idea that truth is more than multiple choice answers in an exam. Truth is Jesus. Pilate missed the point. The story ends like this, verse 39, Pilate answered, what is truth? And then he walked away. And he handed Jesus over to be killed. And historians tell us that shortly after the death of Jesus, there was a revolt in Judea that threatened Pilate's political career to such a degree that he went home He grabbed the sword and he fell on it, which is a poetic way of saying he took his own life. He had the truth right there in the person of Jesus and he let it go. Pilate missed it. The religious people of Jesus' day missed it as well. My question is, will we miss what truth really is? Because I believe that God has called us as a church to proclaim truth, not just information, but relationship, 
And what evangelists, modern-day evangelists, have found repeatedly is if you want to reach this postmodern generation, it's relationship. It's coming close to people. It's loving people. It's caring for people. It's incarnating with people. It's not just showing up with a Bible and a list of ideas. It's doing life with people. That all of a sudden makes them wonder, what is it that this person has that I don't have? And the walls go down and the possibility of finally, for the first time in their life, believing that there is such a thing as truth becomes real. Now, this is a modern idea, but it's not a modern idea because a long time ago, there was a lady named Ellen White who said the same exact thing. <laughs> if we would humble ourselves before God and be kind and courteous and tenderhearted and pitiful, pitiful, there would be 100 conversions to the truth where now there is only one. Why? This is weird. Why? Why? I mean, aren't... Aren't, are we not now teaching the doctrines? Are, are, are we not now teaching true theology? Yes, but the point is that it's not enough. Because truth is more than right belief. It's right action. And when we live out the truth in kindness and courtesy, it draws the world to Christ. Because truth is not just what you preach. Truth is a helping hand. Truth is a gentle touch. Truth is a needed hug. She goes on in the same book. This is Testimonies, Volume 9, by the way. She goes on in the same book and she says this. Why do we not live in constant communion with him? So that in our connection with one another, we can speak and act kindly and courteously. Why do we not honor the Lord by manifesting tenderness and love for one another? If we speak and act in harmony with the principles of heaven, unbelievers will be drawn to Christ by their association with us. In other words, living out love is a mu as much a proclamation of truth as preaching from the front. So what is truth? It's more than a list of ideas. It's a person. And the same person, Jesus, said this, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's interesting. I think I've got it here. No, I don't. Yeah, there it is. Great. It's interesting because Jesus doesn't say, hey, everyone will know you're my disciples if you teach the Sabbath really well, although obviously we believe that it's true. It's just not what he says. He doesn't say if you publish studies on the sanctuary, although that is also true, but it's not what he says. He says, by this will all men know if you love one another. So I want to encourage you guys, as 2018 ends and as 2019 begins, God has called us to proclaim truth into the Jundalup community area. Not just abstract truth, not just ideas, not just ideological constructs, but the very way we live, the very way we relate to one another. When you gather for Sabbath school, don't rush to the information. Take some time to pray for each other, to care for each other. It's as much truth as the information you'll be studying.
when you gather together to worship, care for each other, love one another. It's as much truth as discernment that you'll be hearing. And when we reach out into our community, may we reach out with arms of love, with hearts passionate, ready to build relationships with people because that's as much truth as the Bible studies we will someday give them. Truth, John says, is more than an idea. It's a person. It's Jesus. And today he invites us, love one another as I have loved you. I'm going to say a prayer, but before I do, I want to remind you guys one more time. We have a mission here at Vic Park, and we want to equip each and every one of you to fulfill that mission. To be able to share your faith with others, to be able to connect with others. And so as you exit, right here on the right, it won't be on the left, but if you come out through the left door, you can make your way around. Dalibor is going to be there at a table for the starting point class and for the fast class. Remember the big difference between those two is the starting point class goes through the story of the Bible and the fast class goes through the practical life of the Christian. And I want to invite you as you exit, if you want more information, just fill out the form. It's really quick. It's really easy. And we will begin next year, third Sabbath of January. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we're thankful that you've called us to proclaim truth, especially in this generation where people don't even believe truth exists anymore. But the beautiful thing, Lord, is that the truth you've called us to proclaim is way more than just academic ideas. The truth that you've called us to proclaim is living, breathing Jesus. A Jesus who ever lives to intercede for us. A Jesus who's active in our lives day in and day out. A Jesus who contained himself within the body of a baby boy born over 2,000 years ago. A Jesus who is not only full of truth, but who is the truth. You've called us to proclaim him, Lord, not just in words, not just in teachings, but in the very way in which we live, through our relationships, through our care for one another, through our love for our neighbors, we proclaim the truth. And so my prayer this morning is for myself, for the leaders here at Jundalup, for the members, for the guests, May we each experience the truth that you came to give us. Not just to be convinced in our heads about a few things the Bible teaches, but to truly have a personal experience with the truth who is Jesus. And to walk out of that personal experience, a person transformed and redeemed by this beautiful relationship with you. And to take that experience and share it with those around us. Lord, thank you so much for the way in which you've led in 2018. It's not over, we still got a few weeks left, but it's my last Sabbath here at the June to Love Church. So I wanna say a special prayer for them, that you would watch them, that you would guard them, that you would protect them and fill them with your Holy Spirit. As we look forward to 2019 and the mighty things that you have planned to do through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's latest episode of the Story Church Project Podcast. I hope you were blessed. 
If you haven't yet had a chance, I want to invite you to head over to thestorychurchproject.com and subscribe to the newsletter. Not only will you get the latest updates every week, but I'm also going to send you a free gift straight to your inbox. You don't want to miss it. I'll catch you on the next one.